So our scripture reading this morning is Philippians chapter 1. Uh, it's actually beginning at verse 4. I gave Mark the wrong information yesterday, so we'll just skip those first three verses and start with verse 4 uh, right after we continue in prayer. Gracious God, we pray that you would, by your Spirit, move in us this day. You call us to rejoice, and yet our hearts are filled with anxiety and fear. You call us to look at what is good and right with the world, and we tend to look at what is wrong and obsess over those things. And your call to us feels almost impossible because we are overwhelmed by the circumstances of this world. So we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would move in us this day to lift our eyes to you and to find in you that joy and peace and strength that we can find nowhere else. And may that joy and peace and strength characterize our lives as individuals and as a church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There we go. Paul says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me the strength. So, Paul says, rejoice always. And we say, Paul... Don't you know what I'm going through? And Paul says, church, don't you know what I'm going through? Paul, at this writing, was in prison. He was facing trial, and that at that trial, he could have been condemned to death. How many out here are facing that circumstance? And yet we say, but my circumstance is hard. I know his was difficult, but I'm dealing with a lot. And how am I supposed to rejoice when things are going so difficult, when things are so difficult in my life? And sometimes we hear that call to rejoice and we miss the second part of the phrase, and that makes us unable to understand what Paul and the Holy Spirit is saying to us. 
But it says, rejoice in the Lord always. That means when times are good, rejoice in the Lord. When times are challenging, rejoice in the Lord, because it is only in the Lord that our rejoicing doesn't change. Because circumstances change, but God does not change. This is not stoicism, which says, I'm going to be happy, or Pollyanna thinking, where I'm just going to be happy no matter what, and all kinds of bad things happen. We say, oh, I can deal with it. It's all fine. No. This is much deeper than that. It's not, it's not pretending. It is true rejoicing. God would not call us to pretend, to pretend to be happy so that people think we're happy, so that they think that what we have in Christ is good, and therefore we evangelize them by bringing them in to think so that they can pretend to be happy too. No, the gospel is far deeper than that. The gospel is far truer than that. The gospel does not need any kind of fakeness. The gospel says, If you have trust in God, you will rejoice. You will have a depth of peace and satisfaction and contentment and joy that will be natural to you. Now, this was not easy for Paul, as I said. He was in prison, probably solitary confinement, which is very damaging to the human psyche, we found out. And he was facing a potential death sentence. So for him to say rejoice, we say, wow, that's, that's really impressive. But I got to confess, this is not easy for me either to rejoice in the Lord always because, you know, I live in a wonderful community. I have one of the best jobs of anyone that I know. I have pretty much everything I want. A nice home, clearly well fed. <laughs> I have wonderful friends. So it's hard for me to rejoice in the Lord because I tend to find my rejoicing somewhere else in the new wall hanging we bought yesterday that looks so perfect where we put it. I get so excited over stuff like that. All the kind of things that we, we find to, to put our joy into, that we receive joy from, that are not the Lord. So difficult times make it difficult to rejoice in the Lord, but good times make it difficult to rejoice in the Lord too. And I think all of us find ourselves in one or the other of those positions or maybe a combination of both. But the, the primary problem is that we, we don't find our sense of self, our sense of meaning, our sense of purpose, and our sense of joy in the Lord. We find it somewhere else. Or if those somewhere else's aren't there, we find no joy, no happiness, no contentment, no satisfaction. In our small group for this Lenten study of soul-keeping, there are a couple of us who really struggle with one concept, and that concept is trust. The concept is trusting God. 
I, I think many of us probably do have that struggle, but some of us maybe more than others. Maybe there was something in our past that we were um, greatly disappointed, or maybe it's just a natural tendency to not be able to trust very well. But this trusting in God is what it's all about. It is trusting in God's goodness and grace that allows us to have a relationship with him that leads to joy. And if you hear this, and you hear, rejoice in the Lord always, and you say, uh, let me check, how am I doing with that? No. And give up. That's the wrong response. John Ortberg, in using the illustration of the, the keeper of the spring who has to go back continually and clean out that spring that feeds the town uh, fresh, clean water, reminds us that this is an ongoing task to feed our souls. It's our ongoing responsibility to build our trust in God. If you find yourself lacking, don't give up. Don't say, I don't need this. I can't have this, or even if I do need it, I can't find it. Continue to work toward this. Continue to remind yourself to put your trust in God. There's a phrase that I have to deal with as I move into the next uh, portion of this passage, but I, I can't skip over it because it's way too important. In verse 5, Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. This is in the word of God. This is the counsel of God through the Holy Spirit. How do we stack up? Are we known by our gentleness? Not just that we're not fighting with each other but physically, not even that we're not arguing with each other. But are you known as a person who is kind to everyone in your regular interactions, in your online interactions? Do you set yourself up as someone who is in judgment over large groups of people or individuals or whatever? That's not godly gentleness, folks. And what the reason Paul puts that here, I believe, is that if we are not known by our gentleness, we are betraying the fact that we are trusting in something other than God. Because if we trust for our sense of self and our identity in our children or our families, we can become really mean when someone threatens that. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't look, look out for your children and your family, but don't make that your idol so that you become hateful toward others when your children don't get what they want and someone else does. Or when you don't get the promotion that you think you deserve and someone else does. Don't let a root of bitterness grow within you. If you are angry toward people who think differently than you, you're trusting in your belief system. You're trusting in maybe your politics or whatever it might be to 
make your life work for you, and you get angry with people who don't agree with you. But that betrays the fact that you are trusting in something other than God. God is bigger than ideology. God is bigger than politics. God is with us, and God is working out God's purposes. And if you know that in the depth of your soul, you will not be needing to be fighting with people. Gentleness will flow naturally from you because of that deep level of trust that you have in God, not in things, not in powers of this world. John Ortberg quotes, I can't remember who he quotes, but he quotes someone else with this idea that when you are around people that are maybe sort of threatening to you, maybe their kids are doing better in school or got the part that you wanted your kid to have or got the place on the team that you wanted your kid to have or someone who is vying with you for a promotion at work or anything, when you feel yourself at odds with someone else or, or threatened by someone else's success, the, the challenge is pray for them that they will be successful. If you can do that, you are trusting God over whatever else you might have been putting your trust in, be it success or recognition or whatever it might be. It's a wonderful test of our hearts, but it's also a wonderful practice to be people who are known to be people of blessing, be people who are not trying to hoard all the things we think are good for ourselves, but sharing them with others. Jesus Christ left his throne with all authority, with all wealth, with all glory, an existence we can't even imagine, the wonder of it, the, the greatness of it, and he came here to earth to struggle and suffer in our humanity. He gave up all of that for you, and not just for you, but for people around the world that you might not even like in your natural self. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Aren't we also to then love the world as he did? And again, I want to reiterate that this concept of rejoicing in the Lord always is a challenge. It's not necessarily right now your present reality but it is something that we can cultivate within ourselves to get ourselves more and more in tune with God's goodness and build within us a deeper and deeper trust because that is what feeds our souls. When our souls are satisfied in God, then our souls can direct the rest of ourselves in good and positive ways. And Paul goes on to say, to give us some advice as to how to make this happen. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
Well, how do you say thank you before you get what you want? The only way to say thank you before you get what you want is to know that what you want is secondary to what God's will for you is. And when you get to that place, look what happens. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that word guard is like stand guard. Nothing will be able to penetrate that peace. Nothing will be able to penetrate that confidence in God's goodness. This is the kind of trust in God that we all should be working toward having in our own lives. It is possible. Paul felt it even in prison facing possible death. Paul had this peace. It is available to you as well. And then he goes on to say, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, this is what to think about. Set our minds. Reset your mind. Are you one of those people that when you enter a situation, you look for what's wrong? I am. I'm not proud to say it. But so often when I go to a concert, when I go to a play, when I go to a sporting event, which, well, that's another story. <laughs> I look for what's wrong. Oh, the worst. If I ever have the opportunity to worship in another church, that's not right, folks. I once heard a sermon about how to listen to a bad sermon. <laughs> and the point was to set your mind on what God might be saying through God's Word, not to set your mind on what bad presentation skills the person has or some sort of little flaw in how they speak or whatever it might be, but set your mind on what God has to say. In other words, set your mind on what is right, on what is good on what is pure, on what is lovely, on what is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. This is a reorientation of our mind that once again takes practice. If you see in your, your spring that's supposed to feed your soul a stick of bitterness, a stick of criticism, a, a leaf of uh, negativity, pull them out. And reorient your mind about, around what is right and good. I heard another sermon once, or actually I read this one, and the title of the sermon was Doubt Your Doubts. And the preacher went on to talk about the power of doubting our doubts. We, we sometimes let our doubts reign in our minds. We have a doubt about God's goodness or a doubt about something, and we think, oh, yeah, i got to feed that doubt. I have to believe. I, I can't fully trust God because this doubt is there. This pastor said, why do you doubt God rather than doubting your doubt? Change your mind. Doubt your doubt and trust your God. And there's another verse I have to talk about. 
and in doing so, I'm sorry. I apologize ahead of time, but not really. <laughs> this verse is one of the most irritating verses in Scripture, not because it in and of itself is irritating, but by how people use this verse. And that verse, of course, is Philippians 4.13, I can do all these things through Christ who gives me strength. I've seen it as a tattoo. I've seen it as a lovely wall hanging. I've seen it everywhere. And people say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The four foot nine kid in high school who wants to join the basketball team says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And the coach says, no, you can't. <laughs> the person who wants to start a new business but has no business plan, who wants to go to college but fails to send in their um, application, the one who, all these dreams and, and aspirations we might have that we don't have the resource to accomplish them, we say, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Look at what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about, I can be in prison, I can face death through Christ who gives me strength. I can deal with all of these difficulties in my life, and I can have a depth of peace and satisfaction in God through Christ who gives me strength. This verse was never meant to be a blanket permission for us to pursue our own goals and dreams, for us to say, here's my agenda, God wants me to have this agenda, I'm going to pursue it, and he's going to give it to me because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This verse says, I can do everything that God calls me to do. I can endure anything that God allows for me to endure through Christ who gives me strength. So take the wall hanging down, have the tattoo removed, unless you can reorient your thinking every time you see it to say, whatever comes my way, I can endure it and rejoice deeply in God and have a deep sense of peace because God gives me strength in Jesus Christ. I want to close with um, something that if you're in the small groups, you will hear uh, John Ortberg talk about, but if you're not in the small groups, um, the last thing, you know, as we receive this peace, as we receive this confidence in God's goodness, by thinking about God's goodness, by thinking about what is right in the world, by doubting our doubts, by uh, renewing our minds, by praying with thanksgiving, by building our trust in God, it will, it will change our souls. But that change is not just for me. That change is not just for you. Christ calls us to himself so that we can come to him and then turn to the world with love and grace and offer them the peace that we find in Christ. And Ortberg talks about blessing. 
If your heart is content, if you don't feel threatened by other people, what a wonderful privilege it is then to bless, to choose to bless others, to be the positive person in the room, to be the person who acknowledges that that other person no matter what they look like on the outside, no matter how they present themselves, is a person with an eternal soul that is longing for the love of God. To choose to bless those people. If we can grow into the people that God calls us to be, People with settled souls, people at peace. And then, as that people address the world, the power of the Holy Spirit will be unleashed in ways we never would have guessed. Let's keep feeding our souls. Let's keep trusting in God, building our trust, and discover what God will do. Scripture says they will come from north and south and east and west to feast at the table. This table reminds us of what Jesus Christ did for us in offering his body and his blood. This table also, as well as pointing us backwards, points us forward, points us forward to that feast in, in glory. We will, we will all be gathered together with Christ, with the Father, around that table and that peace that is elusive here will be full so as we gather around this table we look back to what Christ has done for us we look to the present and what Christ has accomplished for us and we look to the future the great hope that we have in the eternal kingdom of God let us pray We thank you, Lord God, for your amazing work on our behalf. We are humbled, humbled by your grace toward us. We are humbled by our oft-refusal oft of that grace, either willfully or just by not paying attention by paying attention to things rather than you, or anything rather than you, by trying to get our sense of peace and acceptance and value from anything other than you, for our souls long so much to be filled, and you are the only, the only way they can be filled. So we pray that you would point out to us those things in our lives which are, which are pulling us away from you, which are clouding our souls, which are filling our souls so that you cannot fill our souls. And we thank you that this work is not up to us. For if it were, we're pretty sure we would fail. But this work is your work by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. 
So we open ourselves to you. We open ourselves to what you desire to do in us. And we thank you for the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ who allows us to come to this table to participate in his grace. with great confidence because it is his accomplished work not of ourselves and his accomplished work is done so I pray that you would take this bread and make it be for us the body of Christ that we would be strengthened by his body in our bodies and in our body which is the church that we will be strengthened to serve you effectively in all that we are and do. Take this cup and make it be for us the blood of Christ, bringing new life into our bodies so that we may be strengthened to serve you and to have a depth of confidence in you and in your grace. We pray thanking you for your grace poured upon us and we pray that your spirit would move through this sacrament to strengthen us and nourish us for your service. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.